Welcome once again. Um, for about 17 weeks now, we've been looking at, this, at the life of this man named Daniel. Daniel lived roughly 600 years before Jesus Christ was born. Daniel's people, the people of Israel, was the nation that God had chosen through whom to reveal Jesus Christ to the world. But even though they were chosen by God, Daniel's people rejected God and rebelled against him. They were doing terrible things, like even sacrificing children to idols. And so to discipline them, God allowed thousands of them to be captured and carried away as prisoners. Daniel was among those who was carried away into exile from his beloved hometown of Jerusalem into the enemy city of Babylon. But Daniel was a good man. For 17 weeks now, we've been seeing the battle for Daniel's identity. And in, in Daniel's battle, we've been seeing the battle for the formation of our own identity as well. Many kings in Babylon whom Daniel served under tried to impose the Babylonian identity on Daniel. But Daniel, he held his own. He grew in his identity in the God of the Bible. Not only that, he also influenced many Babylonian kings. But today we're going to step back from Daniel a little bit. And we're going to look at another man named Jeremiah. Now when Daniel and thousands of others were in exile in Babylon, Jeremiah was still in Jerusalem. And while in Jerusalem, Jeremiah was inspired by God to write a letter to the exiles in Babylon on how to live while they were in exile. Jeremiah wrote this letter um, about 2,600 years ago to a people and a culture that is nothing like ours. And yet, living in Mumbai in 2019 as followers of Jesus and as explorers of Jesus, this letter is extremely helpful and relevant to us. You know, as we all know, Mumbai first draws us in with the lure of success, and then it will crush us under the weight of that very success. And so living in Mumbai is like living in Babylon. And so what living in Mumbai is to us was living in Babylon to the Israelites. And, and, and so Jeremiah's letter of instructions to the, to the people in Israel who are living in Babylon is equally relevant to us living in Mumbai. And that's why we're looking at this letter this morning. If this is your first time in a church, or if you've just been a few times, and we have quite a few friends who are checking Jesus out, who are curious about him, who in their own um, journey are exploring Jesus. And you are what we would call an explorer of Jesus. If, if you are that, I am certain that neither Jeremiah or Daniel make any sense to you. Why on earth should you be interested in, 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 these, in these two men? And I would agree with you. I wouldn't expect, I don't expect you to be interested, deeply interested in Daniel or Jeremiah. I agree with you. So here's what I have to say. Don't worry too much about these two men. What you should focus on today, and that really is 90% of my talk, 
is how to make life work in Mumbai. Now, that's relevant to all of us. So if you've experienced both the delightful joy and the brutal pain of living in Mumbai, I'm sure the sermon is going to be meaningful to you in some way or another. With that as background, let's move to the passage, uh, this letter that Jeremiah wrote to the exiles living in Babylon uh, that we are going to be reflecting on this morning. It's going to come up for us on the screen, and I'll read that out uh, for us. I'm reading from Jeremiah, which is a book in the Old Testament, chapter 29, verses 1 and then 5 to 14. The audio is perfect. Thank you, Matt. <clears throat> These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of Babylon, had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Verse 5. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city, that's Babylon, where I have sent you into exile and pray to the, God, pray to the Lord on its behalf for its welfare, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. Here they're referring to people, uh, prophets, false prophets, who are trying to tell the people of God that they are not going to go into ex uh, exile. Or the exile will last only two years and not 70 years as God had told them, which is what we've been looking at the past few weeks. Verse 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. I will fulfill you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Verse 12, then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you, gather you from all the nations and places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I'll bring you back to the place from which I have sent you into exile. This is God's word. Allow me to pray for us. Father, we thank you for Christ Jesus. God, become man. Christ Jesus, God being broken for men. Father, we pray that even as we reflect on your word, Reveal your son, Christ Jesus, to us. To those of us who are followers of Jesus even more deeply. To those of us who are exploring Jesus, Lord, would you help us as we journey in trying to understand who Jesus is. Thank you, Father. We welcome you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning I'd like to focus on just one word from this passage. You'll find that repeated three times in verse 7. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on his behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Welfare. That's, that's the word that we're going to be looking at this morning. It's a pity that the English language doesn't 
capture the full beauty and the power of this word in its original uh, Hebrew, in which the Old Testament of the Bible was written in. And I'm hoping to unpack at least some of that for us this morning. So I want to draw three things for us from the passage. First, welfare. What does it really mean? Second, why do we need this even more than we need success? And third, how do we get it? What is welfare? Why do we need it? How do we get it? That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Let's move into the first thing we're going to be looking at. What does welfare really mean? We probably have a vague recollection of this word welfare uh, from our history lessons in schools. And the communist Soviet Union was described as a welfare state. Clearly, that is not an exciting word for us. And I can assure you, that's not what Jeremiah meant when he wrote the word welfare. In our, in our vocabulary, um, the word welfare has perhaps been replaced by the word success. See, the moment I spoke the S word, success, how well it resonates with all of us. Success. That's what we are here in Mumbai for. Is it not success? But allow me to submit this morning that deep down, we all desire for more than mere success. Don't we all know some extremely successful people who are also extremely unhappy? Or don't we all know some extremely successful people who are extremely fake? That is not what we want for us. And so when Jeremiah used this word welfare, he definitely meant a lot more than mere success. The word welfare in the Bible is translated from the Hebrew word shalom. That's the word uh, Jeremiah wrote originally in the original language, shalom. And the Hebrew word shalom is so much more fuller, it's so much more richer than the English word welfare. I read out the ESV translation of the Bible for us. The NIV translation of the Bible uses the word peace and prosperity uh, as an elaboration of the word welfare. That definitely sounds better than welfare, but, but the word shalom communicates a lot more than welfare and peace and prosperity. In its original Hebrew usage, the word shalom includes completeness, wholeness, health, peace, welfare, safety, soundness, tranquility, prosperity, perfection, rest, harmony, and the absence of any form of agitation and discord. You can see that shalom is a lot more than mere success. To have shalom is to have meaning, beauty, value, purpose, and perfection, not just for us, but also for everyone around us. To have shalom is to have beauty and harmony in every person's relationship with every other person and each of their relationship with God. Shalom is true human flourishing in beautiful harmony with each other and with God. 
And the most important area where we all desperately need shalom is our relationship with God. Even if this is your very first time in a church kind of a setting, I think you experienced just a tiny, weeny little bit of shalom when you were worshiping Jesus along with all of us. And that's the first thing that I want to draw for us from the passage, the real meaning of the word shalom. The second thing I'd like to unpack for us from this passage is this. Why do we need shalom more than even success? We all believe that one of the greatest longings of our lives is the longing for success. Now, while the rationale and the, in the intellectual part of our being will try and persuade us that this is true, there is also a spiritual part of us, a spiritual being of us, and that will tell us constantly, and you know it, you don't, need, you don't need me to tell you this, you know it. Your spiritual being inside of you is telling you that you need more than mere success. Let me build my case for this in a very practical slice of life from Mumbai. Imagine this with me, please. Let's say your boss has just recognized the great work you've been doing at your workplace over the last few months. And he, he doesn't wait for the increment cycle in March. He calls you out and he gives you a, a promotion and a big fat increment in recognition of the great work you've been doing. Obviously, you and I in that place, we are going to be thrilled. But then you find that a whole bunch of your colleagues are talking behind your back saying that you didn't actually deserve that promotion. If you hear what's, been, what's the chatter behind your back, how will you feel? Terrible, I'm sure. Many of you are smiling very knowingly. So you see, in this scenario, you have success, but you don't have shalom yet. You have success, but you don't have harmony yet. Mere success will not satisfy our souls. We long, you and I, deep inside, we long for shalom. In this scenario, shalom includes getting a promotion. Yes, it includes getting an increment, but it's not just that. In this scenario, trying to unpack what shalom would look like in a scenario in our life, shalom would mean you really deserving that promotion in the first place. It will include all your subordinates and all your clients and all your, uh, all your uh, colleagues and all your internal and external stakeholders coming to absolute agreement and joyful celebration of your work and your promotion. In this scenario, shalom will also include that you in turn are selflessly serving all your clients and peers and subordinates and internal and external stakeholders. You see, this is shalom. Now, this is shalom still only in your career. At home, if you're living in, a, in an apartment where the road gets flooded every time it rains, you don't have shalom in your neighborhood. Or if you and your wife are having a little bit of a rough time, you don't have shalom. Or if your children, whether they're 2 or 22, are rebelling against you, you don't have shalom in your family. 
The BSE Sensex has dropped 2,500 points in the last month. So if, you, if you're heavily invested in mutual funds, I bet you don't have shalom now. You don't have shalom in your finances. And last week, the US and India and Pakistan were in the middle of a war of words as to whether Prime Minister Narendra Modi actually asked President Trump to mediate a solution to Kashmir or not. So we don't have shalom or harmony in our governments. You see, the shalom that Jeremiah was talking about was not just shalom in a specific area of career or family or world politics. The shalom Jeremiah was talking about was the shalom in any and every area and dimension of our lives. If we don't have perfect shalom, which is completeness, wholeness, peace, welfare, safety, soundness, tranquility, prosperity, perfection, rest, harmony, if we don't have all of this in all areas of our lives, we don't have shalom at all. Think about this for a minute. Will you indeed be happy with your promotion if your colleagues are actually mocking you for it. Now tell me, don't we all desire for shalom more than mere success? Without shalom, we will be unhappy with even success. So shalom is total and beautiful and perfect and complete harmony beauty and perfection in everything and our souls deeply long for it there's no one here in the things you're passionate about will settle for anything less than absolute beauty and absolute perfection now that i've kind of articulated the meaning of shalom i guess most of us I would imagine most of us are resonating with the need for it. But I have a simple question that I'd like us to really consider right now. Before this morning, how many of us felt the need for shalom in our lives? Did you walk in to this hall searching for shalom intentionally? I'm talking to both followers and explorers of Jesus. Before this morning, how many of us felt the need for the shalom? You see, as important as shalom is, we do not fully understand it. And therefore, we do not seek it. And so quite often in the busyness of everyday life in Mumbai, we're very likely to ignore this need for shalom that our souls experience. Or we may even suppress this need. Maybe we are aware of this, but we're kind of filling our heart with other things and we're suppressing this deep longing for shalom that exists in your heart and mine. Truth be told, none of us, none of us, are living in active pursuit of this shalom. And may I dare to suggest that this is the reason that so many of us are so unhappy in our lives. You know, we, I mean, I look at this hall, I only see people 
who are many times better than the average person in Mumbai. I can only see people who are better off than the average. And yet, and yet, many of us are disappointed with so many things in our lives. That's because we are seeking success over shalom. In other words, it doesn't matter how successful we are, we can never be truly happy unless we seek and have this shalom. And that brings us to the third and the last thing I wanted to draw for us from the passage. How do we get this shalom? It's a very surprising answer, but the answer is quite evident in the passage and, and in the specific verse we're focusing on this morning. Verse 7. But seek the shalom of the city. Now we know what this welfare or shalom means. But seek the shalom of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its shalom, you will find your shalom. For in its shalom, you will find your shalom. God, speaking through the prophet Jeremiah, is telling his people that only in seeking the shalom of Babylon, while they are in exile there, will they find their shalom. This must have come as quite a shock to the people of Israel, because Babylon was the bad city. Babylon was the wicked city. Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar had actually destroyed God's temple and, and looted it. And yet God is calling Israel to seek and pray for the shalom of Babylon. You know, sometimes, you know, being inside the gathered church, uh, we feel we're good and everything outside is, is, is bad. It's, you know, we feel as followers of Jesus, we are good and everyone outside is, is bad and we tend to think of the city out there as our Babylon. So let me rephrase what God is telling Israel through Jeremiah in a way that is relevant to us in the times that we live in. God would tell us and God is telling us that we cannot experience the full shalom of God in the church unless we first seek and pray for the full shalom in the city. In one sense, we're all coming to find peace and blessing and shalom in the church. The church gathered. The church is not at all a building, nor an event. It's the gathering of people, God's people, to worship Jesus. That's the church. But God is saying that unless we seek the peace and the blessing of the city, we will not find the shalom in the church. And so God is saying the lives we live as the church scattered out there in the city is as important as the lives we live as the church gathered on Sundays and Gap, of course. Seek the shalom of the city. Pray for the shalom of the city. This is pretty deep. God is saying that the only way to enjoy shalom is by being channels of shalom to others. Verse 7, seek the shalom of the city, for in its shalom you will find your shalom. And so to really unpack it, what does this mean? 
God is saying the only way we can experience shalom in our careers is by being channels of God's shalom in the careers of others. The only way we can experience shalom in our families is by being channels of God's shalom in other families. In even simpler words, God's telling us, and Jesus showed it to us, that we cannot put ourselves first. We are called, because we worship Jesus, we are called to put others first, as Christ, who is God himself, put us first above himself. I'm going to make a pretty strong point here. So please, please hear, my, hear, hear me out fully before you rush and tweet something. Yeah. You know, we are all so used to praying, praying for and seeking our own success and maybe even our own shalom. And we do this, generally we tend to do this more than we tend to pray for the success of others. Is there anybody here who really prays for the success of others more than we pray for our, our own success? Yeah, my hand is not going up for sure. Yeah. And the Israelites were also like this in that time. And even though they were rebelling against God, even though they had rejected God, they had the sense of entitlement that God has to bless them. They demanded, they expected God to bless them, and they would be angry with God if God didn't bless them. I think that sounds very familiar to, 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 to us. Um, that's the context. And so while this was happening... In the book of Jeremiah, in the run-up to this chapter, chapter 29, that we're reading, uh, the entire book we have to see it in totality, but I'll just, I'm just tracing, picking a thread from the chapter book for us. In the entire book, you're going to be surprised at this, God forbids Jeremiah to pray for Israel. God forbids Jeremiah to pray for Israel. Not once, not twice, but three times God specifically tells Jeremiah, do not pray for Israel. We can see that in Jeremiah chapter 7, Jeremiah chapter, Jeremiah chapter 11, and Jeremiah chapter 14. All the three verses are going to come up for us on the screen with the, with the references. But I'm going to read for us just the third time God tells Jeremiah, do not pray for Israel. Jeremiah chapter 14, verse 11. The Lord said to me, do not, and, and the word here, choice of word here is very, very interesting. Do not pray for the shalom of this people. Shocking. Shocking. God is angry with his people because of their idolatry and rebellion. But, but consider with me what's happening here. God is telling Jeremiah three times, do not pray for the shalom of this people, but through Jeremiah, God is also telling this very people to pray for the shalom of Babylon. What on earth is happening here? Let me simplify this in our context. With, with your permission, I'm going to kind of oversimplify it for effect. I know you'll get, 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 the, point, get the point that I'm trying to make. God is saddened 
by us desiring and praying only for our own personal success, he's no longer going to hear our prayers unless we first seek and pray for the shalom of everyone in the city. That's what's happening here. God's telling, God's teaching, even in his anger, he's loving his people, he's disciplining them, he's discipling them, he's telling them, you've got to stop being selfish. We've got to stop being selfish. His heart is so saddened that his people whom he called so that he could reveal himself to all of the world through this people have become so self-engrossed. They don't really care. And so God's telling, you'd better start praying and seeking the shalom of others. Unless you do that, I'm not going to bless you anymore. Don't even pray to me. That's exactly what's happening here. So let me bring this home to our hearts. This past year, the last 12 months, have you even once thought about how a career is for the blessing of others also and not just to satiate our own personal ambition? Good godly ambition is good. It's not wrong at all. But what's, why are we ambitious? If it's just for our personal growth and there's no room for the welfare, for the shalom of others in our pursuit of success, are we really being followers of a God who laid down his life for us? You know, I, I, I work, I still continue to work with the Economic Times. I, I know what working uh, in, in a real career in Mumbai is. Uh, journalism is very competitive. You're constantly fighting for bylines. I, I know what it is. You know, the world is discipling us to live unlike Jesus. The world is constantly shaping us, molding us to live unlike Jesus. We, but Jesus, he is, he is pleading with us. He's walking with us. He's tenderly calling out to us to learn from, from him. And so this morning, I do want to call all of us, just as I'm calling myself to repentance for merely selfish motivations for our career success. Seek the shalom of the city. In its shalom will you find your shalom. What is the priority in which we've been living our lives and pursuing our careers and art forms. Is it others first or is it us first? Let me come at this from a slightly different perspective, a completely different tangent. Why do you think Christians set up over 20,000 schools and 10,000 hospitals in India? Why do you think they did that? They were desiring and seeking the shalom of the city. The schools and the hospitals were designed to bring shalom of others, to, be, to bless the city. Now, you and I, we don't have to start setting up schools and hospitals tomorrow. We don't have to do that. That's, that's not where I'm going. 
but we can seek and we must seek the shalom of the city through our professionals' careers. We must seek it. Our careers is the biggest gift we have. That's where we put most of our energies in. That's where we spend most of our time in. And so our careers must be seeking the shalom of the city, the art forms we practice. Whether it's in music or in acting, the art forms we practice, the businesses we run must seek the shalom of the city. The shalom of the city. The shalom of Mumbai. The shalom of 23 million people living in Mumbai. God is calling us to seek and pray for the shalom of 23 million people living in India, in Mumbai. Do you think we can really do this? Can you and I, and perhaps even a few thousand more followers of Jesus, can we truly accomplish shalom of the city? Is this even possible? I'm going to pause and allow the full weight of, of seeking to serve this 23 million people to just rest on our shoulders for a minute. How on earth, I look at this all, I mean, there's so few of us. How on earth are we going to seek the shalom of 23 million people? There is absolutely no way we can do this except through one man. The Bible calls him the Prince of Shalom, Jesus Christ. Look at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, another book in the Old Testament. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Shalom. The word peace here that's there in the, in, in the English text, in the original Hebrew, the word used here is Shalom, not peace. Jesus is the Prince of Shalom. Why is Jesus called the Prince of Shalom? What did he do to be called the Prince of Shalom? Allow me to read a passage in the New Testament which completes this answer for us. I'm reading from Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 to 20. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Christ and through Christ to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven by making shalom by making peace by making shalom through his blood shed on the cross jesus is called the prince of shalom because he made shalom through his blood shed on the cross christ jesus made shalom for us through his blood shed on the cross. How did he do that? Jesus Christ, who is God, who is God himself, who is God the Son, Jesus, who is God the Son and God the Father, were in perfect shalom. Everything we've been talking about, Shalom, God the Father, God the Son, enjoy that together. But we, because of our failures and our wickedness and our sins, we had lost the Shalom. And so Jesus became man and he came and he gave up his Shalom 
so that we could regain the shalom we have lost. You know, if you see verse 11, there's something very interesting there. It doesn't come up. But if you see verse 11, the opposite of the word shalom is the word evil. The, the Hebrew opposite of the word shalom is the word ra, R-A-H, which actually means evil. There is no middle ground between shalom and evil. No middle ground. If we don't have shalom, we have evil. There is no middle ground. If we don't have the shalom of God, we are evil. Our sins make us evil in God's eyes. And Jesus, who's a prince of shalom, took all of your sin and mine upon himself. He took God's just punishment for our sins upon himself. And he paid for our evil by his death on the cross so that we could enjoy his shalom. Jesus paid, for, paid with death for our evil so that he could enjoy, we could enjoy his shalom. Jesus Christ is the prince of shalom. He gives us the gift of shalom. Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann, he, he captures this brilliantly with a very sharp sentence. He says, shalom is not only an incredible gift to receive, it is a most demanding mission to live. Yes, this mission of seeking and praying for the shalom of 23 million people in Mumbai may seem hard, very hard. Well, let me close with a deep biblical truth we sung in one of our songs during worship this morning. The chorus of that song we sung today ended with this one line. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. Let's pray. Father, we are staring this morning at our own selfishness, at our own indifference uh, to the city, Lord. We're also staring at, at a really big city out there. And forget the city, just our workplace. Wherever the companies we work for, the organizations we work for, we're wondering what difference can we make? How, how can we seek the shalom of our company, of the organization? But Lord, this morning, I pray, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, would you fill us with faith that yet not I, but through Christ in me. You are the Prince of Shalom. You are the one who gives the gift of Shalom. And we are but mere channels of your Shalom into the lives of others. So, Lord, this morning, with humility, with repentance, we open our hearts wide. We open our hearts wide and say, Lord, fill us with your shalom, that we might overflow, that your shalom might overflow in us, into the lives of those around us. Help us to be mindful. Help us to see people. Help us to genuinely start doing small things by your power, by the power of your Holy Spirit, to be a blessing to the people around us. In Jesus' name we pray.